Welcome to Gladiatrix. I am woman and hear me roar. I'm your host, Malini Sarma. Every week, I will be speaking with women from all over the world who will be sharing their journeys, their stories about overcoming their fears and achieving great things that they thought they never could. So if you don't want to miss a story, make sure you subscribe. Before we talk about today's show, I would like to say thank you to all my guests who have been featured on the Gladiatrix podcast to date. I have a dream. There are 193 countries in the United Nations, and I have a dream that I can host at least one woman from every country in the world on this podcast. That is 193 countries, 193 stories, on 193 shows. So if you know of somebody who should be featured on the show, please drop me a note. I would really appreciate it. In today's episode, we're speaking with Jillian Teets. Jillian is the host of the popular podcast, Sober Powered, where she documents her journey to sobriety. In this episode, listen to Jillian as she speaks about how she started drinking at the age of 22, recognizing some of the signs, and finally, what made her stop. This is her story. Hi, Jillian. Thank you so much for being on my podcast. I'm really excited to hear about your story, and I really want the world to hear about what you have to say. Thank you for having me on. I'm really excited for this conversation. Oh, you're very welcome. Um, So you are the host of a very successful podcast that basically documents your journey of um, sobriety. Um, But before we go into all, you know, into all those details, I really want to know, tell me a little bit more about you, you know, growing up, you know, where were you born? Do you have any siblings? You know, what did you want to do when you grew up? What was growing up like? Yeah, so I'm from the Boston area. I never left. I just moved a bit closer to the city as I got older. Um, I have one younger brother. He's my best friend and basically always has been. We've always been very close. Um, I was really bullied through most of school, like all of middle and high school. Mm -hmm. Um, So my brother was like a very important person in my life. Um, And your third question for what I wanted to what I want to do when I grow up, it's changed over the years. It was FBI agent for a while and then Mm -hmm. lawyer. Um, Mm -hmm. But I think the main dream was professor that that's still a little dream that I carry around. I think that would be such an amazing career. Yeah, that's that's really cool. And um, I, I can see a little bit of that in your podcast. because <laughs> I love the way you document everything. And that's really cool. But um, going back to, uh, you know, your journey. So what, how did you get introduced to alcohol? Or was it just a, like a natural thing like, you know, that everybody does or like in college or how did that how did that start? Yeah, so because I was bullied through most of school, I never went to parties. Mm-hmm. And so I was really like protected from alcohol 
during high school. Mm -hmm. And then when I went to college, I was so used to being bullied and not having friends Mm -hmm. that it was really hard for me to like put myself out there. Mm -hmm. And I actually never went to a college party ever, not even one time. Mm -hmm. So I didn't drink during college either. Mm -hmm. Um, I had my first glass of wine when I was 18. Mm-hmm. Um, and I remember feeling intense shame after having it intense shame just from one glass. And then I didn't drink again, really until I was 22 mm-hmm. and I was in graduate school and there everybody drank mm-hmm. and I wanted to fit in. I wanted people to like me. So when we started going to bars, like almost every day after mm-hmm. work, mm-hmm. I would start ordering beers just like they did and then mm-hmm. very quickly I gained the the appreciation for why people drink and then it was a thing <laughs> oh so so going back and you said you were bullied in high school you said your brother's younger to you yeah he's two years younger so so when you were bullied in high school or when you were in middle school is it like why because you're just shy and you didn't say much or was it they just you know is that why why did they bully you or is it Yeah, it was a weird thing. So I moved school districts in between Mm -hmm. elementary and middle school. So Mm -hmm. I started out at a brand new school where no one knew me. Mm -hmm. And one of the popular girls decided for some reason that she didn't like me. I Mm. still don't know exactly why. Mm. Um, And she just turned the whole grade against me. And then it just kind of stuck. I don't know if people knew why they didn't like me, but they Mm -hmm. just knew like everybody didn't like me. Mm -hmm. And I would have moments where like there was more intense bullying, but overall it was um, just like ignoring me, not wanting to be my friend, not Mm -hmm. wanting me to sit Mm -hmm. with them at lunch, stuff Mm -hmm. like that. It's like a mean girls, like the movie. It's like, yeah, (laughs) kids are mean. I mean, you know, that, that, that movie just kind of, uh, brought it to light what actually happens mm-hmm. but it kids kids can be extremely and it does such it t- d- takes such a toll on you like it it completely chips away at your self-confidence and then mm-hmm. you wonder you know is there something wrong with you you know and uh, so I'm glad your brother was there you know to be at least you had one friend right who was yeah. with you yeah I, I know how that is I, I know how that feels because I've always been the new kid in class because you know we moved around a lot too so I, I totally get how that feels I'm sorry you know <laughs> <laughs> no but you know what if it doesn't kill you it makes you stronger so that's very true yeah so now I'm the most social person ever <laughs> <laughs> no but uh no I'm sorry you had to go through that because I know how painful it can be thank you uh, um so when you started um drinking in college i mean this that is that is really uh rare right for college kids not to drink because usually there's always a party happening so i guess it kind of you would have thought that okay if you didn't drink in college then you'd be fine because that's usually where kids get introduced to alcohol Mm -hmm. or probably even in high school but in your case you almost started much later like you were an adult you were 22 you know, you were with the big kids now, right? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I thought I was safe. And I thought um, that I was a strong person. And I wouldn't let anything like that happen to me. And I was an adult now, I 
I knew what I was doing. And then I realized pretty quickly, like, it's not something that people really choose. It's not something that you can resist. So, so why did you feel shame? You said you drank and you felt shame. Why? Yeah. Um, so that is a big part of my story. So something that my husband says that always sticks with me is he said that my actual drinking wasn't a problem. It was what happened afterwards. So all the shame and the self-hatred, mm -hmm. he said that was the problem. Um, I was still drinking a lot, but um, yeah, so the shame just happened right away. Um, my brother struggles with it a little bit. Um, mm -hmm. It's something that we both observed growing up mm -hmm. was a lot of shame. And I guess we just internalized it. And that's that's like our go-to. When something happens, we go straight to shame. So is that is that like in your family, did like your father, your parents, I mean, were you like around alcohol for that to happen? Like, were you constantly told, oh, you shouldn't drink because, you know, only people who are like, they have a problem. If you're, if you're drinking, you have a problem. Is that how it is? There was no judgment. Um, I did witness some unhealthy drinking, which mm -hmm. was why I waited so long mm. and, um, you know, probably contributed to my situation. Mm -hmm. But there was never any judgment. Um, my whole family, for the most part, are the type of people that have one drink mm -hmm. and that's like it. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and mm -hmm. then there was me mm -hmm. like off on the other extreme. <laughs> So, so you started, you said you started drinking when you're 22. So how long did it take before you realized, like how many years were you drinking or how many months or whatever before you realized, you know, you had a problem? Did you figure that out or did somebody else tell you that, you know, girl, you got a problem. You got to do something about it. <laughs> yeah. No one's ever said that to me, which um, it surprises me, I guess, that no one, no one said it because people did witness, mm -hmm. um, you know, some bad moments. But I think I knew right from the beginning, I never had any control over it. Like I never had an off switch. I didn't have the voice in my head that said like, this is enough. You should stop here. Um, I just had a voice that was like one more and pretty quickly, like it escalated by the time I was 23, I was a daily drinker. By the time I was 24, my tolerance had doubled. And that was when I really started to become concerned um, because the quantity was a lot that mm -hmm. I was drinking. Mm -hmm. And that was when I started trying to moderate. So I guess really two years in is when I started being very aware. Of so, so did you like, did you get, we know, did you have a DUI? Did you get pulled over? Were you like, would you like get up in the morning and start drinking, just drinking all day until the end of the day? I mean, what was what was your frequency like? Like how much were you drinking in the day? Yeah, so no to all of those questions. So I've never had um, any any like public mm -hmm. negative consequences. Everything was internal, like my own mental health. Mm -hmm. um, I've always had like a good career during my drinking. Mm -hmm. um, I got my master's degree while I was drinking every day. Mm -hmm. um, so it didn't interfere with like my, my daytime self besides mm -hmm. the, you know, the crippling shame and the hangovers. Mm -hmm. But as soon as I would get home, I would start drinking and it could have been anywhere from like 
two glasses of wine. If I was trying to moderate, um, I would share a bottle with my husband and then there would be no more alcohol. Mm -hmm. So that was how I would stop. Mm -hmm. Or keep drinking until it's over. Yeah, exactly. So if I had a bottle of wine, I'd drink the whole bottle. Mm -hmm. If we were out, I would just keep ordering drinks. So it Mm -hmm. could be anywhere from like two glasses of wine on a good day to like eight on a bad day. So it always varied. Um, Mm -hmm. When I was 24, it was probably like, um, like five drinks a night, Mm -hmm. something Mm -hmm. like that. Every night. Yeah. And I was a teacher and I had to get up really early. Wow. Yeah. That, so that helped me realize like, you feel terrible every single day. Like, Mm -hmm. It's hard to teach when you're hungover. It's hard to teach anyways. But. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh, wow. Wait, so you were you so you were drinking it's, it's anywhere between 3 to 5 eight drinks, you know, 5 to 8 drinks a, a day or a night mm-hmm. every day whether it was a weekday or weekend. Mm-hmm. Right, probably on more on the weekends because it was a holiday. So Definitely. N- normally uh you know like when you're spending that much of time and money on alcohol, at some point you'd be like, okay, you know what? My bills are like crazy, but you, you never noticed that or you didn't, you didn't feel it because you weren't, you figured it was only one bottle of wine or, you know, you, you weren't drinking hard alcohol. You were just drinking wine. It was just wine and beer. So I was drinking yellowtail wine for a while, the big bottles, mm-hmm. um, which were very cheap. Mm-hmm. And then Um, This was actually part of why it escalated. Um, My husband and I were both like broke. He was a PhD student and I was a like early teacher making like no money. Mm -hmm. So he suggested that I switch to vodka to save money. (laughs) (laughs) And then that's when the tolerance really increased. Um, And then after that, I was like, I don't drink liquor anymore. And I went back to wine Mm -hmm. and then later in my drinking, like he graduated, um, and he got a really good job. And then I switched careers to being a scientist. Mm -hmm. So like finances were never really a problem. Like if we were spending like, like 15 to $30 on wine every day, Mm -hmm. it, it like wasn't noticeable. Like we're really fortunate, I guess, Mm -hmm. in that regard. Okay. So, so then, um, so, so there was, so there were, there were no, uh, what do you like you said, public co- consequences, either no yeah. DUI or anything. You didn't have to worry about on the finance issues, you know. And you still, you were still able to get up in the morning, and go to work, mm-hmm. um, you know, and you still had your regular life. So then, when did you decide that, like, okay, you know what, there is a problem here? What point did you realize that you actually think that this is a problem? So there, it was a slow realization. Um, I quit teaching because I thought that the stress of teaching was why I drank so much. Mm. So I sw- that's literally why I switched careers. Mm-hmm. And when I switched careers into science, I started going to therapy and I went to a therapist and I said, I'm worried that I might be an alcoholic. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and she should have been like, well, you are then. Mm -hmm. But she was like, well, let's see, why don't you not drink for a week? And Mm -hmm. 
you know, we'll see how that goes. Mm -hmm. And at that point, I, you know, I hadn't skipped a day for many Mm -hmm. years. Mm -hmm. And I did the week, it Mm -hmm. was fine. Mm -hmm. And then we were like, okay, I'm not an alcoholic. Mm -hmm. So I just continued about my way. Mm -hmm. And then um, you continued, you mean you continue drinking? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I just went right back. I was mm-hmm. like, okay, I'm not an alcoholic, so whatever. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And then another year went by, mm-hmm. and my mental health really took a big hit during mm-hmm. that year. Mm-hmm. I developed anxiety mm-hmm. and my depression, which is something I've always struggled with, mm-hmm. it turned into suicidal thoughts. Oh boy. And yeah, so mm-hmm. it got scary. Mm-hmm. And then that was what really prompted me to stop but Mm. I I didn't want to stop so Mm. I actually challenged myself to not drink for 90 days because Mm. I thought you know that would be a nice reset or something and I'd Mm -hmm. be cured and able to moderate Mm -hmm. so I did the 90 days Mm -hmm. it was great I felt amazing Mm -hmm. and I connected the poor mental health to drinking but then on day 91 I got drunk the very first day that I could because I finished the challenge. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I, you know, continued to blow up my life mm-hmm. internally mm-hmm. and then quit for real in November. So the suicidal st- thoughts came right back as soon as I went back to drinking. So when you're saying November, you're talking November 2019 or 2020? 2019. Okay. So, um, okay. So that was what prompted you to yeah that said okay i do really have a problem because you're starting to get suicidal thoughts and the alcohol was definitely not helping Mm -hmm. so um explain to me so now so what happens after what happened after that what did you do once you realize okay like okay i really do have a problem what did you do next yeah so i had stayed up all night with like anxiety attacks and really scary thoughts. And I realized like as the sun was coming up, I was sitting on the couch with my husband, who's so kind to me. Um, I realized like I could not drink for 20 years. And as soon as I go back to drinking, I'm going to drink this same way. And I knew that the suicidal thoughts were from alcohol because they had went away when I stopped drinking for 90 days. Mm -hmm. So I just accepted like I can never drink for the rest of my life. And I felt really calm in that Mm -hmm. moment. Like it was scary, obviously, but Mm -hmm. um, acceptance is really powerful. And Mm -hmm. yeah, I don't have cravings. I don't struggle with anything like that because Mm -hmm. I know exactly what I would be returning to. So, Mm -hmm. uh, so drinking, like it's not an option. People ask like, was quarantine hard for you? Were you triggered? Did you have cravings? And, Mm -hmm. and no, because I don't even consider it's like, um, you know, doing heroin. Mm -hmm. I've never done heroin before. I have no idea where to get it. Mm -hmm. I know that I shouldn't do it because it's, you know, Mm -hmm. really bad. And I consider alcohol the like the same category, category. like I Mm -hmm. just can't do it. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So what was the hardest decision that you had to make when you, um, because you know, the way I look at it, but Mm -hmm. you know, just listening to your story and what you've told me so far, I would never consider you an alcoholic. 
Because I was like, wow, look at her. You know, when she doesn't want to drink, she doesn't drink. When she wants to, she does. Because I would look at it as somebody who cannot control the cravings and they would have to have alcohol in their system all the mm -hmm. time. You know, so I would say that you're just really, really strong to recognize that you're, you're kind of making sure you don't have a problem before it becomes a problem. Thank you. Yeah. yeah. Um, if I continued drinking it, it would have kept getting worse and worse and worse and a mm -hmm. physical dependency could have developed and all sorts of DUI could have happened, all kinds of stuff. Right. So I think your moral um, clock inside you is probably kind of, you know, smacking you. And I was like, <laughs> what, what, what the heck what the heck are you doing? You know, get out enough. of here. <laughs> yeah, enough is enough. You need to get up in the morning. And <laughs> so, um, so what was the hardest decision that you had to make once you decided that, oh my God, you know, I can't do this anymore. What was the hardest thing that you had to do? I was really scared for people to know. So, so you, your husband, what did he think about it? He didn't, he didn't think you're alcoholic, did he? No, he didn't think that. He thought if I could just stop the shame and the self-hatred that my like actual drinking wasn't bad. I mean, it was, it was bad. Like the number of drinks I was having was so unhealthy, mm -hmm. but I couldn't like drinking makes me hate myself. Like I couldn't mm. um, unlink the two things, okay. but yeah. So he never like shamed me or was mean to me about it. He was always just very kind mm. and just took care of me, but no one else saw what he saw because right. on the outside, I was just like a good time. Like mm -hmm. I was just your fun friend mm -hmm. who'd go out and get drunk with you. And all the bad stuff happened usually at home, mm -hmm. just me and my husband. Mm -hmm. So he got to see the worst side of it. Yeah, he saw all the misery. Mm. So what was the easiest thing to do? What was the easiest decision you made once you realized that, okay, I really need to do something? Um, I think the easiest decision was never drinking again, even though that sounds like crazy. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But once I really accepted reality, mm -hmm. um, I was just so at peace. And I don't know, it was just like my new normal, even though it took adjusting to and it was mm -hmm. hard and it was weird. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, that I've never questioned that decision. Mm. Okay. I mean, yeah, you're right. You would think that would be the hardest thing, but that yeah. was probably the easiest thing for you because you're, it just gave you a reason why you shouldn't drink, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I have a very good reason because mm -hmm. my life is at risk if right. I return to drinking. Right. No, that that's that's um, that's really cool that you were able to do that. And I love the name of your podcast. Oh, um, thank you. Uh, sober, it's called Sober Powered, right? So yeah. what prompted you to start the podcast? So when I quit, I wanted to understand, like that very day I started thinking, like, why did this happen to me? Mm -hmm. I didn't drink till I was 22. I don't come from a long line of alcoholics. Mm -hmm. um, I have a good career, a good marriage. I live in a house and I couldn't understand like, why would this happen? Mm -hmm. So I started learning everything I could about addiction science and psychology. Um, 
And I spent every single day actually reading and learning and educating myself. Mm -hmm. And when I was around like seven or eight months sober, Mm -hmm. I thought like everyone needs to know this information. We Mm -hmm. all need to know. And it Mm -hmm. would, I want to help people stop hating themselves. Mm -hmm. And I feel like education has helped me like free myself from most of that, from most of the shame. Mm-hmm. Um, so I just felt like compelled, like I have to go tell everyone this right now. Mm. So that's what, um, so you were, uh, so you said you, this was like November, 2019 was your worst like yeah. month. And then you started your podcast like uh, later in 2020, wasn't it? Yeah. So I started at the end of June. Okay. Okay. So you have been, I think you're extremely brave for, you know, coming, being up Thank front, you. talking about your journey of sobriety and everything. So what was, um, what was the reaction of your friends and family? What, what was the reaction that surprised you the most? Um, surprised me the most, I think, was that so many people pressured me to drink. Really? Yeah. Um, even though like I have no problem telling people why I stopped drinking, mm-hmm. people still pressured me to drink. Like even my brother, um, he's just such a normal, regular old drinker. Mm-hmm. He can't understand how you can't stop drinking once you start. He just can't even like get his mind around that. And he was like, I really just don't understand why you can't just have one drink. I just don't Mm. understand. And Mm. I had to like sit him down and and explain it to him. Mm -hmm. And then he became my champion. But Mm -hmm. I had other people that were close to me, like pressure me to drink. Like I'll only order a drink if you do when we're out to eat or like putting even even after you told them you're not drinking anymore. And, you know, after your podcast was out. That was before the podcast. So a lot of the pressure happened in the first like Mm -hmm. three months Mm -hmm. of sobriety, the hardest Mm -hmm. time of sobriety. (laughs) Right. Yeah. So that was very, very hard for me. Mm -hmm. Um, It made me feel sad. And I lost some friends. They stopped inviting me to parties. Mm -hmm. Um, But, you know, I expected that. And Mm -hmm. they when you look back, you see they're not real friends. friends they're just right. people that you sit with and you both get drunk next to each other. Mm-hmm. But you don't actually have like any kind of connection. Right. Right. So now did your does did your husband stop drinking too? Or does he still did he drink as much as you did? He drank a lot because I drank a lot and mm-hmm. I was always like, let's party, like let's have fun. Mm-hmm. And You know, he wanted to do that, too. He Mm -hmm. didn't drink quite as much or quite as often, Mm -hmm. but he he was a heavy drinker Mm -hmm. and he stopped drinking for a couple weeks when I quit. Mm -hmm. And then we had a conversation like how he can best support me. Mm -hmm. And I asked him if he could please just like never drink wine around me ever. (laughs) And wine is his favorite drink. So it was a big ask. Mm -hmm. But he didn't drink any wine for 14 months. So, wow. okay. Yeah. And he hasn't been like drunk or even close to drunk in 14 months. Um, mm. Now he has like a couple drinks a week. Okay. So now he's in a very healthy place. 
Um, And we just reintroduced wine into his life like two weeks ago. Okay. So, um, so how are you handling where you don't drink and he does, how does that, how does that affect you as, you know, like somebody who is promised yourself that you're not going to drink anymore? Yeah. So sometimes it feels sad. I feel sad that he can do it and I can't do it. Mm. Um, I don't feel like tempted to do it because okay. it's not an option, mm-hmm. but I feel sad. Um, I feel sad that when we go to weddings or on vacation, like I can't do what everyone else can do, mm-hmm. but he is really, really respectful of drinking around me. Like he makes sure that it's not near me when he drinks wine, like he mm-hmm. drinks it in a coffee mug. So I can't I can like see it. <laughs> yeah. So I can't see it. Um, yeah. So he's really, really, really good about it. Okay. I mean, uh, you know, he's doing what he has to do, right, to help you Mm -hmm. out. And that's great. So um, as a young uh, working professional woman, you know, going through this journey, what would you want to tell other women struggling with this issue? What what advice would you want to give them? I think the best piece of advice that I can offer is if you are worrying that you might have a problem, it's because you do have a problem. Um, Someone could have said that to me like four years before I quit. (laughs) That was Mm -hmm. when I started like Googling it and asking therapists. And Mm -hmm. so if you are worried, it's because you know deep down in your heart you have a problem. Mm -hmm. Um, Normal drinkers like my husband Mm -hmm. has never once worried about his drinking ever. Mm -hmm. Um, He just drinks when he does and then never thinks about it again until his next drink. So Mm -hmm. The obsession is mm. a sign that you have a problem. And you did have that. Oh, yeah. I thought about alcohol constantly. I thought about, like, how can I moderate my drinking? What strategy can I try this time? Like, I literally researched moderation strategies to, <laughs> and they never worked. But, mm. yeah, I was very dedicated to my alcohol obsession. Mm. So... Um, like you said, you know, you lost some friends, uh, they weren't really friends, but now, um, how do you cope with, you know, when you have to go out to, you know, either, well, we have COVID, but, (laughs) which is kind of in, in some ways, I guess it's a blessing in disguise, but if, you know, when everything opens up and you have to go out and, you know, like you said about work parties, you know, people are like, oh, let's go to the bar and, you know, or they have you know, stuff where they're like, okay, everybody get a drink. How, how are you coping? Have you told your coworkers, Hey, don't invite me. If there's alcohol, make sure there's a non-alcoholic drink in there so that I can come others. I'm not coming. So I actually switched jobs during the pandemic and okay. my new coworkers do not know. Um, okay. I'm waiting for them to like find out because it's not hard to find out. Like if you Google me, it's everywhere. Okay. But um, they don't know. My old coworkers did know. Mm-hmm. Um, and they like they would have mocktails too when we went out mm-hmm. or they were always like really cool. Mm-hmm. Um, and my new coworkers, like I think they'll be fine. I don't mind people drinking around me. I just don't want them to ask me like why aren't you you drinking like 
Like, mm-hmm. what's going on? What, why are you still not drinking? Like, that mm-hmm. kind of stuff is really frustrating. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So you are um, looking back now. So you have been um, sober for more than a year now, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, congratulations. That's a Thank huge you. milestone. Um, knowing what you know now, is there anything that you would have changed in the past looking back? Or is there anything that you would have told your younger self? Um, I don't think there was much that could be changed. Um, I think that there were a lot of circumstances in my life, a lot of things that happened to me that all aligned in a really negative way to create Mm -hmm. a drinking problem. Mm -hmm. So I think even if I changed like one or two, there were so many things that, that like contributed to it. I don't Mm -hmm. think it would have made a difference. Mm. Um, And my younger self, I really like that question. And I always try to think very hard about Mm that. Um, I don't think anything that I would say would have an impact, even if I showed up and I was like, I'm living my best life. Everything's amazing. All you have to do is stop drinking. I would have been like, she doesn't know. Like, mm-hmm. <laughs> But um, before I started drinking, I was very, very obsessed with being thin. That was like mm. my dream was to be thin. Okay. And I wonder... Um, because when I quit drinking, I naturally just lost 20 pounds because I had more respect for my body mm-hmm. and I stopped just treating myself so horribly. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm curious if I like transported back in time and I was like, you can have body confidence and, you know, a little bit of weight loss if you only stop drinking. And if you keep drinking, you'll never get there. Mm-hmm. I wonder what younger me would have done because then this is very important to me. Um, but I guess I'll never know. But I think that's the only thing that would have had an impact. Interesting. Yeah, because I, I wonder if, you know, all of that is connected when you when you say body image, being thin, yeah. you know, the shame, the bullying, all that, right? So if you, in your head, if you had, in, in your head, if you had the confidence to say, you know what, I'm fine the way I am mm-hmm. and I don't need, uh, you know, I don't need anybody or anything to convince me otherwise. Mm-hmm. I wonder if that would have like, you know, not even started. The drinking would not have even started, right? Yeah, there's a huge link between mm-hmm. women with um, eating disorders. You don't even have to have like a full on eating disorder, mm-hmm. just like disordered behaviors Mm -hmm. um or like a disordered view on food Mm -hmm. huge link between that and alcohol abuse um Mm. and I really like switched so I met my husband when I was 22 so Mm -hmm. unfortunately he saw the whole the whole process from start to finish Mm -hmm. but um when I met him I wanted to get better and have healthy eating habits and a healthy relationship with food. Mm -hmm. So I started therapy for that. Mm -hmm. And as that got better, that's when I started really drinking. So I just like swapped them. (laughs) Yeah. You just went from one thing to another. Yeah. (laughs) 
That is yeah. really interesting. <laughs> that is really interesting. Yeah. You know, because they always say that women are the ones who tend to get more addicted than men. I mm-hmm. think, I don't know if it's just the mental makeup or is it just the way our body is that we just tend to, you know, be attached more to things like that. I don't know if it is what, what it has to do with that, but they always say, and I remember, cause I, I grew up around alcohol, mm-hmm. but I never drank, you know, because I'd, I've seen how nasty it can get. And I've seen mm-hmm. the worst of, you know, people lives getting destroyed and how, you know, families being destroyed because of alcohol. So mm-hmm. for me, it was never an attraction. I never drank, you know, and I also have a very low tolerance because I'm, I'm one, I'm a happy drunk and then I go to sleep. So it doesn't do me any good. So, and and I never, it, it doesn't, it never excited me that, you know, so I, it's not something that, uh, culturally, that's not something I grew up with either. Mm-hmm. So when I came to this country, it was really hard for me to, I'm like, I'm like, I don't drink, you know, and I'm like paranoid about, it. I'm like, what if I go off to sleep someplace and nobody knows where I am? <laughs> so that was my always thing. But no, but you know, it was it's very interesting because I've seen your uh, seen your posts about you know the brain activity and how all of that ties to you know how you make decisions and mm-hmm. and the addiction and everything. And yeah, I think you probably have a study on your hands when you talk about women and in disorders in you know. Um, and, and alcoholism. So yeah, this is, this is really interesting. Uh, I'm sure I'll be hearing more uh, about, um, about your journey. So I have a question. Do you have like a list of resources? So if somebody who thinks they have a problem, um, where would they reach out to other national resources, you know, where they can go for addiction help um, anything like that? Yeah. So there's a lot of, good blogs or good sites. Um, I think Sober Nation mm-hmm. is a really good resource. Um, the National Institute on Alcohol Abuse and Alcoholism is a good resource. There's a ton of rehabs that mm-hmm. have a website and they will also have a blog mm-hmm. and they are all excellent resources. Um, the Sober Community on Instagram mm-hmm. is amazing so welcoming Mm -hmm. to newbies even if they're just like sober curious they're not really sure Mm -hmm. um there's so many facebook groups that you can join so there's a lot of options um it's more common than people think wow that's surprising isn't it yeah yeah i I was shocked yeah you know, I, I never associated like drinking as like a problem problem. You know, mm-hmm. I just thought it was a social custom. I didn't never realized how bad it could get and how addicted people because after some time, it's a disease. It's not mm-hmm. it's an addict. Like you said, it's an addiction. It's not it has nothing to do with social customs after a while. Right. Yeah. It becomes like a way to stay normal. Mm-hmm. Um, so you're always like fighting off anxiety or depression or withdrawal symptoms Mm -hmm. and you drink like just to bring yourself back up to baseline like you don't even get that happy fun Mm -hmm. um, like carefree anymore Mm -hmm. it's just like something to fix all the problems in your life so that's another misconception people think we're just like obsessed with fun and we don't care about anything but it's actually like really not fun to drink that way it's never fun not even during but you but you can't stop yourself yeah because it's just like it's what you do and 
And I was like, so I don't know, I feel like I went crazy during that time. Like I wasn't myself. I was a completely different person. Mm. And over the past year, I've come back to myself and Mm. I am just like my 20 year old self, except mentally healthy. Um, So are you are you more confident now? Yeah, I have a ton of confidence. I'm nice and outgoing Mm -hmm. and social. Um, Are you still worried about being thin? No, I'm not. I still have like a little, um, I don't know, like sometimes I worry like how clothing might look or certain Mm -hmm. like types of things I don't want to wear. or Mm -hmm. I might be like insecure, like in a bikini. Mm -hmm. But overall, I, I just genuinely like myself and I've never liked myself before so that was like the best gift Mm -hmm. that sobriety gave me I think that is amazing because I think the number one thing you need to do is love yourself first Mm -hmm. yep and then everything else you know happens after so well I have to I have to say I am really impressed with how you're able to how you were able to figure out that you actually had a problem because I don't think I don't think a lot of people even know, right? A lot of times they don't even realize that they have a problem. Yeah. So for someone so young to be able to figure that out, I think that's amazing. So congratulations on your sobriety and congratulations you. on your podcast. Because I know it's like you said, you didn't realize how many people were needed that that information. But mm-hmm. I think you're doing a really good job because I love the way you present it in a very scientific and logical way, which makes so much of sense. And, you know, the, there's no shame attached to it. It's it's truly an addiction problem because your brain doesn't know how to handle it after a while, right? Yeah, like it's not anybody's fault. That's right. like my main point. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and sometimes I use like fancy words and like intricate explanations. But the main point is like, it's not your fault. You didn't choose it. Right, right. So... Yes. So for those of you who are listening, it's not your fault, but go check out Jillian's podcast. It's called Sober Powered and she's doing amazing things and invite her to speak because that's what she wants to do this year. So, <laughs> <laughs> but thank you for coming onto the, onto the show, Jillian. I really appreciate it. And thank you for sharing your journey. Thank you for having me. You're very welcome. Thank you for listening. And don't forget to subscribe. And if you love the show, please leave a review. Just remember, you could be one story away from being inspired.